first chapter. As soon as Jesus and the disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons, the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. I invite you to be seated. There was a time in my life when I didn't think that I could say no to people I cared about. I wanted them to love me and approve of me and appreciate me, and it felt really good to get that affirmation whenever I gave them something that they wanted or that made them happy. It felt really good for a minute. But if love is conditional, then we're always chasing it. There's always one more thing needed, one more self-sacrifice to prove you're worthy of it. And if you're chasing after love and approval from other people, well, then you aren't being very loving toward yourself, and we won't be doing the things that God has called us to do. Plus, I don't know about you, but it fills me with a lot of anger and self-pity and resentment. When I was growing up, and I love my daddy. I did. He was a great man. I learned so much from him. But, you know, he had his quirks. Every family has some. When I was growing up, weekends were often my father's project times. He would get it in his head to invent something, create something, whatever. And to him, quality family time meant having his children standing right over his shoulder all day long watching whatever he was doing and ready at the snap of a finger to go fetch something for him. So on a moment's notice, he would send me off to find some tool or some obscure nut or bolt or maybe some little piece of tubing that he would describe or some little uh, bit of scrap metal that he had stashed among his many piles on the back porch in the garage. Now, not being there to help was not an option. It wasn't. This was kind of his love language. And it was a good education in hardware. I know more about the tools and the, the stuff in most hardware stores than a lot of the people who work there. It was a good education in the practice of old-time ingenuity, because I watched him create a lot of things out of stuff. 
But it was not a good education in being a child of God with a healthy sense of self. It was not. Now, fast forward. I'm 20 years old. I'm newly married, okay? I'm trying to settle down. I'm working, and I'm in college. And Daddy is calling me up on the phone on Saturday mornings and asking me to go running all over town in search of something, some little odd and end that he needed for a project, and I would go. Now, my father was at home, and he was perfectly healthy, and he had access to a car. Uh, but rather than going out himself, he would describe this thing to me, and it was always something really weird, and it had to be very precise, and only he could really truly know what the thing was supposed to look like. And then he would ask me to go get it. And I was driving from one hardware store and junkyard to the next most of my Saturday trying to find this thing for him so that he would be happy. And um, a few months into my marriage, my husband said to me, what about me? <laughs> and what about us? And you have your own life to live. And you can't keep doing this. It's sick. He didn't mince words. So the next time my dad called me, and this was not easy. This was not easy because I, I, it was hard. I didn't want him to be mad at me. And so the next time he called me on a Saturday morning and asked me to do that, I said no. And sure enough, he got angry. And he huffed and puffed and said some really nasty things. And then he got over it. And he didn't ask anymore. And I stopped being exhausted and resentful. And it was an excellent thing for all of us. Jesus had to wrestle with all the incessant demands, crying out for his energy and attention, just like we have to in the 21st century. But he stayed focused on his mission. He took care of his own stuff and didn't feel obliged to manage everybody else's stuff. And his stuff included walking around among the people and preaching the kingdom of God's love and healing and performing miracles to confirm the power of God at work in the world. And in the gospel this morning, Jesus is in Capernaum. And that day, he's already gone to the synagogue in worship. He's cast a demon out of a man who was present in the synagogue. He goes over to Peter's mother-in-law's house. I think he's hoping for a pot roast. Instead, she's sick. He raises her up, restores her health. She serves them. Word gets out. The whole town winds up at the front door. Everybody needing something. Everybody who's sick, everybody who's distressed, everybody who's miserable. And Jesus lays hands on them and he cures the sick and he heals every infirmity late into the night. Those healed go home and they tell, of course, their families and their co-workers and their neighbors and anybody else who will listen. So the next morning, the crowds aren't just at the door. I mean, they are filling the streets. And everybody's looking for Jesus. The disciples are looking for Jesus, and Jesus isn't anywhere to be found. Well, they finally find him in his usual spot when he's missing, which is out on a hillside somewhere, having some time alone with God. 
we don't know, we got up really early that morning before daylight and went out there and just had the quiet so that he could listen and pray and discern and listening for what God would have him do next. So the disciples find Jesus, and I imagine they're kind of put out. They're like, everybody's looking for you. You know, come on, there's work to be done. The whole town's full of people. Yeah, let's get cracking. And, and uh, you know, people are waiting to be healed. What are you doing out here? And it's a tough moment, especially if you're a self-driven um, people pleaser. It seems reasonable. It seems even good, right? That we would try to help those who need it. And it seems kind of mean and selfish to refuse them. At least that's the kind of stuff I always put on myself. But if we try to do everything for other people that they want to ask us to do, we're going to destroy our own lives and we're going to miss all the joy and purpose that God has for us. The only one we need to please is God. And God doesn't ask or expect us to take care of everyone or to give up our own life and the things that God has called us to do. That's not being selfish, it's being purposeful. And we can seek God's will and we can choose to follow that will and we don't have to feel guilty. Now sometimes God's will for us is going to be uh, that we have some time away, that we rest, that we play, that we get replenished. So Jesus, having spent time alone in prayer, tells the disciples, no, I need to go on to the next towns and preach the kingdom of God to them also because that's what I came out to do. He can say no to the disciples and he can say no to the expectations of all the people gathered in Capernaum because he has said yes to God's call for him to go to the other towns and villages sharing the word that will save the world. Now, to do that, he has to leave some people disappointed. He has to risk making some people mad. And so that God's plan to save all of God's people for all the ages to come, so all these people for all the ages to come can receive salvation and forgiveness and the fullness of life, that God has in mind for them. Now, how do we do it? Well, if we're going to do it like Jesus, we start every day, we end every day in conversation and time with God. And we just ask God, what do you want us to do today? And if we think there's a lot of stuff to do and we can't figure out where to start, where do we begin? What's the most important? You know, let God set our priorities for us. I'm a work in progress, but I'm getting the hang of it. Then throughout the day, we pause and we ask God to give us focus, to show us what it is that we need to say yes to and what we need to say no to, and ask God to remove all those distractions of anger. Just, God, remove the anger. Remove my resentment. Remove my self-pity. Remove my judgment from me. And remove all that desire for affirmation and appreciation and attention. All that stuff that takes me away from what I'm supposed to be doing for you, Lord. So that we can be free to focus on serving in a way that doesn't consume us or leave us feeling used. Do what God is calling you to do. You'll know. You'll know. Because it won't leave you feeling exhausted and resentful. 
and it won't suck the life out of you. No, what God calls you to will energize you and fill you with joy and peace. So trust in the wisdom and the unconditional love that God has for you. Do what God is calling you to do, knowing that God can take care of the rest. And in the words of the psalmist, God is not impressed by the might of a horse and has no pleasure in the speed of a runner, but finds pleasure in those who fear the Lord and those who await God's steadfast love. Alleluia. Amen.